All right, September 18th, our kickoff Sunday. Tim and the Glory Boys will be here, and uh, we will be at Clefner Ranch. We have one service in the morning at 10.30, and then at 5 o'clock, the cookout. And uh, he was talking at 7 o'clock Canadian time at 6.30 Mountain Time when the concert starts. So uh, if uh, you come at 7, you'll get there a half hour late. And uh, we don't do tickets, so you don't need to get a ticket. We will ask if people, if God has blessed you, to try to uh, give a gift toward their ministry. They travel throughout uh, Canada and the northern United States, and so uh, we can uh, try to bless them and encourage them, but there's no cost for the concert. They will also be leading the worship Sunday morning, uh, the musical part of the worship service. And so... um, We hope that you are there, and also I know many of you have already signed up to be uh, help to help in different ways to volunteer in different areas and we could use more that's a lot of things that need to be done both in the morning and the evening so please stop in the foyer if you have not and uh, see an area where you could help we would sure appreciate that and I know so many of you have already volunteered thank you but uh, we can sure use a few more. Also, thanks to those who were up at Mizpah yesterday. If you're not familiar, Mizpah is our camp, and uh, it's up about seven miles from Showdown Ski Area, and we had uh, some projects that we've been working on, and so we were, had a great crew up there yesterday. I got a lot of stuff done, working on the stairs to the back of the lodge that we're trying to finish, and also a lot of work around the areas and the cabins. I know there's a, a group coming up this next week and uh, so and then when winter hits uh, with ski season it'll be a very busy place so uh, had that had a had a real encouragement Um, if you're not familiar with Clefner uh, or not Clefner if you're not familiar with Mizpah how Hannaford ended up to be a part uh, it was a, a man, he was a retired school teacher who started it, a nonprofit organization uh, reaching out to churches and ministries around Montana to use it. And uh, he came to a point where he was ready to step back and, and he graciously allowed Hannaford to come in and to, to step in and lead it. Uh, but some of the, the people that are working in it are still from the... Uh, those who were involved when it was its own ministry and one of them is in Las Vegas and he got a call that uh, one of the Las Vegas actually three of their casinos were closing down and they were looking for non-profit organizations that would uh, that they could donate some of their things from their casinos to and so he called them up and uh, went down and and it was amazing Uh, all the things and that was another thing that happened yesterday we had a a large u-haul truck filled with uh, kitchen supplies and we also have a great new fundraising arm to our mizpah Uh, we were able to get a bunch of slot machines so that's great (laughs) that was a joke we didn't get any slot machines but we did get a lot of kitchen supplies some amazing and and i'm not good in estimating value but uh, could be $30,000, $40,000 worth of supplies that was given to us to help with our kitchen. So uh, we're grateful for that, yes. And uh, please pray. We're excited. Lots of things getting done with uh, 
plumbing and electrical and mechanical for the lodge, and that'll ha add a whole new aspect to Mizpah. So uh, please pray with us about that, and thank you for those who went yesterday, and I know over this summer and, and throughout the last several years, many of you have donated time to go up there and work. Thank you so much. Speaking of praying, let's pray and ask for God's wisdom this morning. Father, as we come before you, may we recognize that you are almighty God and we can trust you. We can trust you for every area of our life. Lord, help us as we look at your word to, uh, to understand what you have for us. And Lord, not just to gain knowledge, but Lord, for life change in our lives to be more like Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Worry. Worry can control our life. The word that we come up with, the English word worry, came from a German word which means to choke or strangle. And what does worry do? It chokes us. It strangles us. According to a 2020 Gallup poll, 60% of Americans say they're plagued by worry. And that percentage continues to rise. The Journal of American Medicine studied anxiety and depression through the 20th century and concluded that each succeeding generation was three times more, more likely to experience anxiety and depression than the previous generation. And they had looked back at the 20th century. If we look at the 21st century, we realize that those numbers are skyrocketing. Think about the headlines today. Concern about the economy, tensions throughout the world, natural disasters, food shortages. We wonder what's, going to be, what's the world going to be like for our children and grandchildren. We could go on and on, all of the worries that may be plaguing us today. And as followers of Christ, we can face the same debilitating fear as others around us. So what is the antidote? What's the antidote to worry? Well, Jesus shares the key to overcoming worry, and we find that is in what he calls a sir, what we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And in chapter 6, verse 25 and following, he speaks specifically about worry. Follow along as I read, beginning in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." 
Three times in these 10 verses, Jesus gives the command, do not worry. Verse 25, therefore, do not worry. Verse 31, do not worry. Verse 34, do not worry. But how do we overcome worry? Now, I know if you're sitting here this morning, you probably say, well, I don't worry about anything, but, but I'm going to go ahead and share this for the neighbor that may be sitting next to you or somebody who's listening online, and you may want to take notes just to help them out. But if you're like me, it's easy to worry. This morning, I was talking to someone, and I was, I'd been talking, and I was supposed to be getting something done, and I hadn't got it done, and, and so I, I come up to them, and I said, I bet you were worried. I didn't even think about it. It just comes naturally. We worry about everything. Again, Gallup polls, 60% are plagued by worry. But how do we overcome it? We overcome worry by trusting God. And Jesus here is going to remind us of, of three different aspects of our relationship with God. The relationship that God calls us to have and three different parts of that relationship that remind us we don't need to worry. We can trust God. In verse 25, we're reminded that we can trust God as our master. Look at, look at verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, if you notice there, verse 25, it begins with the word. Go ahead. You can read it. It's up there, right? Therefore, all right, I'm glad, nobody said Matthew, okay, Matthew 6.25, therefore, all right, wasn't a trick question. So, and you've heard this silly say statement that I heard and I say all the time, when you see the word therefore, you need to look and find out what it is. There, very good, all right, you're getting a little better. So, we've got to find out what it's there for. You have to look back to see, and he's saying, because of what I just said, you don't need to worry. So let's go back and see what he just said in verses 19 through 24. He says in 19 through 24, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Excuse me, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if the eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. Now listen to verse 24. Now, or No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or God and money. So what's Jesus saying? You can't be controlled by possessions. You can't be driven by things. If things and possessions are your master, you are going to worry. Thieves will come in and destroy. Moth and rust will eat away. But your master needs to be God. And therefore, if your master is God, you don't need to worry what you will eat or what you will wear because your master will take care of it. Now we struggle with the term master, don't we? 
When we think of master, we think of someone who is bossing me around, telling me what to do. And obviously, we think back to slavery, and slavery, a horrible thing. But God is looking at this, and we need to look at this in a different perspective, that we are to have God as our master. That's one aspect of our relationship with him. He is the creator of the universe, the master of all, and we must look to him as our ultimate master. But when we think of the term master, we we ask ourselves questions. And if we think of a person that is to be our master or our boss, we we think, well, maybe can I trust their knowledge? Maybe I shouldn't trust the decisions that they're going to make. Or can I trust them to really handle the situation? And ultimately, and the biggest question, are they concerned about me? Are they going to make decisions that are helpful, that are beneficial to me? Can I trust that master? Can I trust their concern for me? But God is the ultimate master. We can trust him. And when you think about the master and the servant, the master was really responsible for all the needs of the servant. The servant was simply responsible to serve. And we can trust God to supply our needs. As our master, God will supply our needs. But not only is God our master, he desires to be our father and we can trust him. Verse 20, verses 26 through 30, we can trust our father. Beginning in verse 26, it says, look at the birds of the air for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So Jesus looks at three needs, food, Life or life expectancy and clothing. Now, our situation in America today is is much different than the situation of Jesus' original audience there on that hillside in Galilee in the first century. Many of the people that were hearing that could be slaves or many were day laborers. And obviously, we know what a slave is, and they said that in the Roman Empire of the first century, 50% or more of the people living were slaves, many of them horribly mistreated. But then, we see these day laborers, another large percentage were day laborers. What they would do is they would go out in the morning and they would wait and they would hope that one of the landowners would come and choose them to work for them that day and then they would be paid at the end of the day. And the next morning, it would be the same situation. They would go out hoping that there was someone that would need their work that day. And so day by day, they were hoping for work. Now you think about Americans in the 21st century. We worry about our food. 
what am I going to have tonight? Italian, Mexican. Yeah. One of our big decisions, okay, so I have the refrigerator and it's full, but the freezer's not that big and my fridge freeze, you know, my, my dual door refrigerator freezer, and so I buy, what do I do? I go buy a chest freezer for the garage. And sometimes we even say, boy, that freezer's getting full, so maybe I should get a second. But what did Jesus say in the Lord's Prayer? In fact, just a few verses before this in Matthew chapter 6. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Actually, it was the example prayer. The disciples said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, all right. So when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today or this day our daily bread. As 21st century Americans, we may have an issue understanding the importance of that statement. Give us this day our daily bread. Some of us have 30-day freezer meals. I mean, we've got our menu for the, for the month. Some of you maybe for the year. Who knows? But do we each day say, God... I'm relying on you today for my food. Because I know everything I have comes from you. You are my master and you are my father. And you care about me. And you provide for my needs each and every day. Now I know there are people in America and people around the world who daily are desperate for food. God calls on us to reach out and help them. That's part of what a follower of Christ is to do. But for most of us to truly understand the depth of that prayer, we get pretty confident in our own ability to take care of ourselves. And Jesus is saying, listen, you want to not worry? Put your trust in your Father, not in yourself. And clothing. We have issues with clothing too, right? (laughs) What am I going to wear? This morning, you probably like me. You say, okay, should I wear this or this or this or this? Some of you, or this or this or this. Now, sometimes men say, I don't have anything to wear. What does that usually mean? There's nothing clean. Women Sometimes say, I'm making a stereotype here, don't throw stones, say, I don't have anything where. What does that usually mean? They don't have anything new. But for a lot of these original recipients, and for a lot of people in our world today, they have the clothes on their back, and that's, that's all they have. They don't have a closet full and a hamper full of clean and dirty clothes. But we all have areas where we worry. And God says, trust me. I'm your master, verse 25. I can take care of it. I'm your father. I'm concerned enough. I'll take care of it. He is the one we can trust. And we can look to him to meet our needs. 
So he begins with food in verse 26, and he uses the birds as an illustration. Now, he was speaking in, a, in an area we call northern Galilee, the northern part of Israel near the Sea of Galilee as he was speaking there. It was evidently on a hillside speaking to a large group of people. And, and that region had a lot of water and was known for all the birds. And so I'm sure you can just picture it as he's standing there and he's telling the people, he says, listen, think of the birds. And there were probably flocks of birds all around him. And they could probably hear the birds. Maybe Jesus even raised his hand and pointed up to the sky where some birds were flying overhead. He said, think of the birds. Well, what about the birds? Well, the birds... They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father takes care of them. He feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? He uses a rhetorical question. If God feeds the birds, won't he take care of you? The obvious answer that you're to reply with is yes. And I love the way he emphasizes the word your. He says, think of the birds. They don't toil, they don't reap, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now, God's the creator of the birds. He's the creator of everything. But God is the one who wants to have a personal relationship with you. He is the one who has made promises to you. And God desires to have that father-child relationship with you and to provide as your loving, concerned father. He has given you promises that the birds aren't given, but they don't worry. I don't know, maybe, maybe you've seen a bird around going, oh no, what am I going to do? What, what's happening next? No. But we do. We worry. There's a poem by Elizabeth Cheney. Now, this is the Elizabeth Cheney that was the writer of the 1800s, not the representative to the United States House from the uh, state of Wyoming that's sort of been in the news lately if you haven't heard of the 21st century. So it's another Elizabeth Cheney, 1800s writer, and she wrote this poem. It's a fascinating poem, and and it connects with Jesus' promise of Matthew 6. Listen to what she wrote. Said the sparrow to the robin, I would surely like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the robin to the sparrow, Friend, I think that it must be. They have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Think about that. We worry because we don't recognize our Heavenly Father and His care for us. So he goes on in verse 27, and he speaks about our lifespan. Verse 27 says, Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Now we read that, and we may think it's talking about height, but most probably he's talking about a lifespan. Who by worry can add a minute to your life? The obvious answer is no one. We can't add any time to our life by worrying. In fact, you can worry yourself to death, 
But I've never heard anybody say, well, just worry yourself to life. We want to control. We want to be in control. And we worry about the things we don't feel we can control. But we need to step back and recognize that it's God who is in control and we can trust Him. I can't, by worrying, add a minute to my life. And if it is speaking about height, I can't add an inch to my height. Maybe if I wear shoes with tall, high heels, but I don't do well in high heels. No. We can't change things, but we can trust the one who is in control of it all. And then in verses 28 through 30, he goes to the area of clothing. And he uses the example of flowers. So he'd use the birds. And I'm sure in in northern Galilee, they were flying all over. And then the flowers. And I'm sure as he was speaking there on that hillside, they saw the grasses and the wild flowers of the area. And he said that Solomon in all of his wealth, considered the wealthiest man in the world, could not array himself, could not dress himself like the beautiful flowers that God had created. The life of the flower is short, and then they're gone. And Jesus said there that that they were burned and the grasses were used in the ovens thrown in the ovens, and they would take the grass that, that, was, that was dying, and they would take, and they would wrap it up, and they'd throw it in the ovens to help them with their cooking. But the flowers, if God created and cared for the beautiful flowers, he can surely take care of us. You see, as our Father, God cares enough to take care of us. He cares enough. As those people, whether it be the day laborer or the slave, would wonder how their their boss, whether it be boss for the day or their master for their lifetime, would they care about them? We can be confident that our master, our father, cares about us. You see, God is our master. He desires to be our father. But the third aspect, he desires to be our Lord. Verses 31 through 34, we can trust our Lord. Beginning in verse 31, it says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." So Jesus, he reminds us to let him be Lord. He leads us to look to the future as part of this passage. We should not worry about tomorrow. Instead, we need to seek God's kingdom. Verse 33 begins with the word but. Just like when we see the word therefore, we say, okay, I need to look back and see what's taken place beforehand to see what it's there for. But shows a contrast I don't need to worry. Instead, I need to seek God's kingdom and His righteousness and let Him take care of the rest. I need 
to seek my heavenly kingdom. I need to focus on the things of the world to come. And Jesus here uses the term Gentiles. Now for a Jew, a Gentile was someone who was non-Jewish. But as Jesus was speaking and, and throughout the New Testament, sometimes we see the word Gentiles, and it's the idea of a, one who is not a follower of Christ compared to the Christians. So if I'm just living this life and I have no relationship with God, yeah, today's important. It's all I've got to look forward to because I don't know about tomorrow and there's nothing after death. We all know the saying, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you may... Okay, not, not a trick. Eat, drink, and, to, and be merry for tomorrow you may die. And without God, that's the end. And if there's nothing beyond this world, I need to be focused on, okay, what am I going to do today? But Jesus is saying, listen, if you're a Christ follower, you're going to seek his kingdom. You're going to look to the future because you have a future guaranteed with God. And that's what your focus is. And let God provide as your master. Let him love you as your father. Let him lead you as your Lord. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 25. Lamentations, you take the first six letters of that word. It was a lament. And basically, it was written by a guy named Jeremiah, who was a prophet, and things were not going well in Israel. And so throughout the book of Jeremiah, which is a long book, he was sharing all these things and the trials and the struggles and the punishments that the Jews were going to have and were having. And then he comes to this, this shorter book called Lamentations, and it's filled with all the reasons to be sad. But right in the middle of it, he shares a glimpse of what is different with God. And listen to what he says in Lamentations 3, 22 through 25. It says, through the, or, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. What's he saying? Listen, I don't need to be overwhelmed because great is your faithfulness as we've been singing about all morning. We can trust God. He's the one who is faithful and he is the one who can keep us from worry when we put our focus on him. You remember Peter as he wanted to walk on the water? Jesus came... The disciples, the storm was great, and they were in the boat, and a lot of them were fishermen. They were used to the sea. They were used to the water. And Jesus comes out, but it was so bad that even the, even the greatest of seamen there on that boat were like, we're going to die. This is the worst ever. And they see Jesus, and finally they recognize that it is Jesus. And Peter says, Lord, let me come to the water, or let me come and walk to you on the water, because Jesus was walking on the water. And Peter said, hey, that's cool. I want to do that too. And so Jesus said, Come. So what happened? Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water to go to Jesus. We missed that point. 
Jesus was the only, or Peter, excuse me, was the only one of those disciples who could tell the grandkids, guess what? I walked on the water. But what happened? He began to look at the waves and feel the wind. And he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. What happens? Why do we worry? Because we take our eyes off Jesus and we look at the circumstances and they may be bad, but we lose our focus. And we don't trust Jesus as our master. We don't look to him as our father and we don't follow him as our Lord. And we sink. Jesus said, don't worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. How can we not worry by trusting God? Seek him and his righteousness. And Jesus will handle it all. And then he closes in verse 34. He says, and one more time, third time, don't worry. This time, don't worry about tomorrow. We oftentimes get overwhelmed by what's coming up, don't we? There's an old saying that says the average person is crucifying himself between two thieves, the regrets of the yesterday and the worries of tomorrow. We spend a lot of our time today worrying about tomorrow, but that's foolish. Now, we should prepare for tomorrow, plan, but worry? A study in psychology today revealed that 91% of the things we worry about don't come true. That means only 9% of the things that we're worried about in our future actually come through. And guess what? If you take that 9%, a large portion of that 9% are things we can change even if we worry about them. But we like to worry. And Jesus said, listen, don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has trouble enough. Focus on today and focus on God. Worry is sin. Now, we like to use different words. Concern. I'm concerned about this. (laughs) That means I'm worried. But God says, don't worry. He doesn't suggest it. He commands it. But if you're anything like me, that's really hard. And the only way I can keep from worrying, if I say, all right, God, this is yours. I'm trusting you to take care of it. But if you're anything like me, even when I say that, I'm thinking about how I'm going to grab it back and I can worry about it and try to handle it myself. But Jesus said, listen, verse 25, your master cares about you. You don't need to worry. Verses 26 through 30, your Father, who loves you more than you can imagine, cares about you. You don't need to worry. Verses 31 through 34, your Lord, the one that you are to follow, cares about you. You don't need to worry. Just seek his kingdom, and he will take care of it. We need to seek God and his righteousness. Isaiah 26 and verse 3 says this, You, God, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Are you that person that's described in this verse? 
that person who trusts in God? Don't worry. Trust God. Next week, we're going to be looking at trust and contentment. If I'm worried, I'm not trusting. In order to be content, I must trust. So we'll look at that next week. I pray that you will have a worry-free week this week. And I pray that I will. Is it because we won't have any difficult circumstances? No. But it's because when those circumstances come, we look to the Savior rather than ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that as Almighty God, you care about us. You care about the birds. You clothe the flowers. Lord, you love us and care for us more than any of those. Help us to trust you. Help us not to worry, but rather to seek your kingdom and your righteousness. And we will give you the glory for your provision, your guidance, and direction. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.